Well, good morning. Nice to see all of you. Uh, I, by the way, I do have a wife. She, she, I, it's not, there was, there was a, there was a, uh, uh, Art Buchwald was this uh, comedic writer for the newspapers back in the day, and he said that J. Edgar Hoover didn't actually exist, that the picture that you see, the official portrait of the head of the FBI is actually a composite picture of the top five FBI agents. He just was making this stuff up. And I actually do have a wife, and she does exist. Uh, she might have been here today, but sh- there's an event at the church. Uh, a woman's leaving. My wife planned this uh, departure event for her, so you'll get to meet her. And uh, so get emotionally prepared for that eventuality. Uh, I also have two kids. I have a son who's an actor, and actually an employed actor when there isn't a strike, um, you might see him on Blue Bloods. Um, most actors you know are probably waiting tables or tending bar. <laughs> My son actually is employed, or at least he will be when the strike, if and when the strike ends. And I got a daughter. Uh, she's teaching music in Shanghai, China, and planning on getting married next summer. So that's a little brief bio. So we walk down the aisle together, huh? I'm getting married in the morning. Ding dong. No, let me stop. Okay, so <laughs> I could clear the room. <laughs> I have spiritual gifts. Singing isn't one of them. I'm presuming upon your Christian patience by even attempting a note. So let's see. So we're here this morning to uh, uh, get into God's Word. Uh, so um, let's begin this way. Pete Scazzaro is a pastor from Queens, New York. He wrote a book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And the key premise of the book is, and I quote, it's impossible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. Pete says it's impossible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. Pete wrote the book because uh, he had a series of eruptions, tumults, problems, conflicts in his church that just staggered him. He was betrayed in an ugly political move by a friend. His unhealthy type A personality kicked into high gear, and it just made matters worse. It aggravated the whole thing, and it culminated when his wife told him, I quit. I don't want to be a member of your church. She left the church. It was a disaster. And so Pete realized, it's like, he said, I was emotionally immature. I didn't know how to handle all of these emotions that I was feeling. Um, nothing he said in seminary prepared me for what I was going through, and it was a real mess. The first chapter of his book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, opens with 10 symptoms of emotionally unhealthy spirituality. 10 unhealthy um, traits of unhealthy spirituality. Here's two to get us started for this morning that'll set the stage. Uh, we use God to hide from God. Under that point, he says, we demonstrate quote-unquote Christian behaviors so that significant people will think well of us. Another way we hide from God or use God to hide from God is we hide behind God talk. We use quote-unquote um, Christian talk, deflecting the spotlight from my inner cracks and weaknesses, and we become defensive about our own failures. We pray about God doing our will, not about us surrendering to his will. 
Another um, characteristic of unhealthy spirituality is we ignore negative emotions like anger, sadness, and fear. Now, all these things speak about our inner lives, our inner thoughts and feelings. And the passage that we're going to examine in just a moment this morning is about those very things. It's about the fall of mankind. We're going to see the sin within. We, see, we will see that Eve doubts God's commands. She distrusts God's concern. And these are traits that Eve exhibited and we inherited. Doubt, distrust are clearly a part of our inner lives. That's why it's in the text. And therein lies my hope and aim for us this morning. I prayed for you this week. I honestly did, fervently, asking the Holy Spirit that he would come upon us and that all of us would leave here with a profound sense of the sin that dwells within. Uh, I'm hoping that we can actually see, feel our sin within, uh, that we might see our mother's weakness in us, that we can see our own doubt and distrust, not as a dusty doctrine like, oh, that's the total depravity. I'm not talking about dusty doctrines. I'm talking about personal realities, personal reality that we see on a daily basis. I want to divert our attention away this morning and this week, if you would, away from sins that we commit to the sins that instead dwell within us. I hope that we can see, feel, embrace the sin within. And so that said, let's read the text. We're going to talk about the fall of mankind. Uh, actually, it's Genesis 5 says, he, God calls the race man. Now, because of um, changes in our culture, um, feminists tell us that language betrays your uh, thoughts. And so we, they don't like saying man, it's uh, mankind, but God says, yeah, well, I call the race, male and female. Look, read Genesis 5, the first two verses. God says, I'm calling male and female man. That's the race. Anyway, Genesis 2.25 to chapter 3, verse 7. This is the word of God. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the other beasts of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, hmm... Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit, she ate of the fruit, she gave the fruit to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Before we look into the text, let's talk to the author, gracious God and Father, again, as I prayed this week and I, pray, I mentioned this morning, I pray that you might, your spirit might open our eyes to see the sin within each of us. We have an indwelling sin nature, and while we are justified, sanctified, made holy, nevertheless, as Paul said at the end of Romans 7, 
we, the things we want to do, we don't do. We don't do what we want to do. But nevertheless, in Romans 8, 1, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So the purpose this morning is not to condemn, for that's the work of the evil one. But I pray that your spirit would convict. Convict us of our sin, that we would see that there's no way around this thing. It indwells us, and it's not going away. We can't eradicate it through behavior modification. Help us, O oh Lord, we pray. Embrace your grace. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, the sin within. So, the man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field. Um, the original Hebrew, if you read it, it it's, um, sets up some drama. The word for crafty, the word for naked is arom, A-R-O-M, and the word for crafty is arum, A-R-U-M. So the craftiness of the serpent is no match for the nakedness or the innocence of this couple. In other words, if you were reading that, a rabbi reading this would say, uh-oh. You'd hear like music from Jaws, you know. Dun, 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 dun. Trouble. The, 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 the innocence and the, of these two is no match for his craftiness. He's slick. And so he comes and says, did, did God really say are you sure about that? And she did muff it a little bit, you know. She said, oh, oh, we're not supposed to touch it. He didn't say that. And, he, and she says, lest we die, which is kind of like, you know, there's a distinct possibility that if we do it, we could possibly die. That's not what God said. The, the command is in Genesis 2. He told Adam. Now, maybe Adam muffed it himself, and he didn't deliver the message the way it was delivered to him. But one way or the other, when the serpent came up to plant the seeds of doubt in the heart of this woman, she was like, hamana, 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 hamana. And she didn't get it exactly right. And so he plants the seeds of doubt, and so she starts to doubt God's She doubts God's command. Did God really say, are you sure? Now, again, sometimes you read God's word and we're like, wait, what? You know, maybe tithing. It's like, wait, what? 10%? Or, or let's, let's be candid. Let's speak honest. We're all adults. Sex, premarital sex. Is, wait, what? You know, you look at this world around you. Extramarital sex. It's like, wait a minute. If you're married, you, you, have, you have one partner. That's it. And you go, wait, are you kidding? That's all? Because you look at this culture, you watch TV, and you go, wait a minute, you've got, you got to be putting me on. You know, you, you have a desire. S- single women among us might say, yeah, I'm looking forward to the day when uh, I might walk down the aisle. And you've got this idea in your head about, you know, this gallant man on, on a charger, and uh, you wind up walking down the aisle with a fat guy who sweats gravy. <laughs> you know, hmm, this is not my... Ideal, you know, or, or later, later on, many of us know there's a, a lump on the couch and all he says is, honey, do you know where the clicker is? And it's like, is this what God intends? We can doubt God in so many different ways. Like, uh, and, and, and so she's like, uh, uh, you know, uh, wait, what? So he already planted the seeds of doubt. She's doubting God's command. But wait, there's more. Um, see, he's, he's telling her. God knows in the day that you eat of it, you, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You'll be like God. 
or gods, possibly, knowing good and evil. You're not going to die. He directly, flatly, this contradicts what God said. You're not going to die. Stop. Don't worry. God's lying to you. God's not, God's self-concerned. God is self-protective. This, by the way, is a theme throughout Scripture. The children of Israel, prophet after prophet, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, the 12 minor prophets, time and time again, it's like, would you trust him? Would you just stop trusting in your own thoughts and plans? Would you trust God? And they're like, I don't know, maybe, maybe. Time and time again, it's a theme. It doesn't go away. And so after she doubts God's command, she distrusts his concern. This happened to me. Shouldn't be shocked. I remember one time I was like, come on. I was like angry with God. I'm like, come on. You got me all jammed up here. I'm all hemmed in. It's your way or the highway. And I went to prayer about this to him. I'm like, come on. You know, what's going on here? Your way or the highway? I'm all jammed up and I'm hemmed in. I prayed these that to God. That's how I, I was upset. And then shortly thereafter, I'm reading the Net Bible. The Net Bible is a Bible prepared by the faculty of Dallas Theological Seminary. And around the same, so, you know, reputable translation of the, of the Bible. And, and at the same time, around that time, I used to read this blog um, by, about Bible translations, the kind of translations that we like to read. And they said, nobody's going to sell, the Bible translations that don't sound like the Bible don't sell. That in other words, the Christian community wants the Word of God to kind of sound like the Word of God. Like maybe like when you put like, you know, you hearkeneth not unto my voice. And they're like, yeah, but you're like, you don't listen. And like, that's not, is that what the Bible says? You don't listen? It's like, that's what he said. But you hearken not unto my voice. We like the translations that say, you hearken not unto my voice. Put the negative noun after, after the verb. And so when I saw him then in, the, in this translate, I'm like, that's not a kind of Bible translation that's going to sell. But it was exactly what I had prayed to God. And so I went, I started to study. What does that verse say? And it's a Hebrew idiom that they use. That he said, he said in, I'm hemmed in because in your narrowness, there's wideness. And the Lord just told me this. Matter of factly, through a study I was doing of the words of the Hebrew Scripture, and he, and he didn't rebuke me. He wasn't, like, shaming me. He's like, you think you're jammed up, huh? You think you're hemmed in? What do you want to do? You want to leave the narrow road that leads to life and join the wide road that leads to destruction? I'm like, well, no, I don't want to do that. He says, son, there's more wideness here in my way that you think is so narrow than the wideness of... And I'm like, thank you, Father. You know, he was just kind. He didn't, he didn't, you know, talk to me like, you know, I used to get talked to by my parents. You know, he was kind. So even though I doubted him and distrusted him, he let me know. Like, I got you. I'm not, you know, there's more wideness here in what you think is my narrow way than in all the wideness of this world that leads to destruction. So we think we, that God, we doubt God's command. We distrust God's concern. We think God is holding out on us. You know, we have a plan for our lives, and we're like, wait, what? I, I'm not sure. See, walking by faith is really scary because we're basically signing a blank check, and we don't know what God's going to write in when, they, when he writes in the amount, you know? 
Men might say, like, oh, I want to do this. I want this corner office on this job. And it's like, all of a sudden, it's like, is he going to send me to some third world country where I'm going to be? We distrust and we doubt. But it's still, it goes on. So after she doubts and she distrusts, uh, the woman saw, she ate, she gave to her husband. Get a lot of this, kids. Boys and girls, pay attention. She gave to her husband. Where was he? There with her. And when I started, I was like, wait, what? Oh, thanks, Adam, for all your input while your wife is being tempted by this beguiling, slick serpent. You got nothing to say? My interpretation, I haven't heard anybody say this. And once again, I don't want to start a new church over this, but I'm like, uh, I think we see male passivity before the fall. Yeah, silence. <laughs> I get it. I know. Um, yeah. The Word of God is a double-edged sword. It's a good thing for me to mention this on our first day of going together. <laughs> um, I had a friend. Uh, he's written several books, and he said years back, he says, the Word of God is a double-edged sword. Well, then how come it so infrequently seems to draw blood? Now, I'm not trying to, like, slash and burn here. Um, but if the Word of God is a double-edged sword, I mean, I get pricked during the week when I'm preparing this, and um, that's just the Holy Spirit conforming us to the image of, of His Son. Um, I, think, I think my job here in some way is to, is to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. I think that's a pra- pastor's job, and I'm not doing it on purpose. I'm just read it and weep. <laughs> that's the Word of God. So she saw, she ate, she took, she gave some to her husband who was there with her, and the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. She dismissed God's control. Doubt of God's command, distrusted his concern, dismissed his control. That's when the, the disobedience, the sinful behavior followed the doubting and the distrusting. Uh, the eyes of both of them. There's two I'm going to give you a grammar lesson. Sorry, but it's, I think you'll appreciate it. Spanish grammar. In Spanish, there's two verbs to know. Saber, conocer. One is saber is to have knowledge. Conocer is to know personally. You could say, conozco a Madrid. I know Madrid. I've been there. I know it. You can't say, I know. Conozco a Abraham Lincoln. He's dead. You can't know him personally. You can have knowledge of Abraham Lincoln. You could read history books. But conocer is to know personally, to experience. Adam and Eve got snookered. He said, you'll be like God's knowing good and evil. And even in the Spanish version, it says, conocieron. They knew they were na- In other words, he said, you're going to know good and evil. Like In other words, I would have thought you're going to have intellectual knowledge of both good and evil. Nope. You're going to experience sin and evil he sold them a bridge in Brooklyn. He snookered them. They had, they had personal knowledge. Their eyes were open, and they were like, blah, 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 wait, what just happened? They knew they were naked. Previously, they were naked, and they didn't know it. They were unashamed. Now, shame enters the picture. They knew they were naked. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. She saw, and, and, and it, in chapter 2, before, or, well, well, the story of God's creation. God said, 
to Adam. You're going to see the tree is good. It's able to make you wise. But it wasn't the kind of wisdom they were thinking. They experienced shame, nakedness, sin. So they uh, dismissed God's control, and um, they covered up. (laughs) This is almost comical. They put on fig leaves. You know, I, I, I told you I have two kids. Many of you have, you have older kids. When they're adolescents, you're like, oh, come on. You're going out like that? It's like, you can't wear that up. You're going where? It's like, this is ridiculous. Fig leaves to cover up. It's like, that's not even. It's like a comedy skit from some vaudevillian thing. It's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> you, you look ridiculous. Um, and, and, and this was the plan. Um, they, 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 um, and, and it didn't just happen. They doubted the God's command. They distrusted God's concern. They dismissed God's control, and they devised a conspiracy. I'm not making that up. It's coming right from the text. There's um, a, a theme, a word, a Hebrew word. I, I'm a bit of a Bible nerd. Um, I've got this um, book here on this, this. I have a library here. But I have this book here. It's called The Theological Workbook of the Old Testament. And, it'll, and it gives you expansive information. And so this is the idea that they devised a strategy. Here's the, like, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts, that's the word, the thoughts of his heart, the strategies, the plans of his heart was only evil continually, Genesis 6.5. Genesis, uh, sorry, Isaiah 65, I spread on my hands all the day to a rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good, following their own devices, their own devices, their own strategies. Job says he frustrates the devices of the crafty. One more time, it occurs um, with Joseph and his brothers. After he reveals himself to his brothers, he says, you sold me into slavery. You planned it, your device, you, you planned this, you thought you would do this, for, God, for evil, but God, same word, planned it for good. God plans, strategizes, just like we do. When we do it, it's usually to try to duck, shuck, jive, avoid pl- pain, avoid difficult, trying to maneuver ourselves into the most comfortable position because we're self-protective and we're self-accommodating. So the basic idea from the theological word book of the Old Testament, the basic idea of the word is the employment of the mind in thinking activity. It's like, what are we going to do? How are we going to fix this? And it's a plan apart from God. And, it's, um, and so here's an example. Dan Allen, a Christian author, counselor, um, he, as a young boy, uh, only child, and he used to endure the icy silence of his parents at dinner. And it was like they just didn't talk. And here is this little boy, and it's like, you know, and that's just, that's the tip of the iceberg. What's the, you know, what hostility, what rancor is below there? So he, um, he couldn't stand it. So to thaw the ice of his parents' icy relationship, after school and before dinner every day, he would think about events that happened in school and he would catalog a list of stories and events, and he would entertain and try to make his parents last and do something, anything that would break that icy silence. That's a strategy. 
may not be the crime of the century, but that's what we do. I don't know if he was a believer, but when we do that, again, maybe that's not the crime of the century, maybe that, but that's, rather than trust God and go to him and say, Lord, what are we going to do about this? One more, Larry Crabb, in a book about uh, marriages, talks about consider what happens as a little girl watches her mother cry because her daddy doesn't come home at night. Remember, we're identifying with what's going on in this story, not comparing. Consider what happens as a girl watches her mom cry because her daddy doesn't come home at night. This unfortunate girl may learn that men hurt women. She may then, consciously or unconsciously, set for herself the goal of never becoming emotionally vulnerable to a man. When she marries, her goal will be to motivate herself to keep her distance, never to relax in her husband's love, never to give herself fully or freely to him. That's, those are strategies, devising strategies. Adam and Eve had their eyes opened. They saw the ugly reality of their shameful nakedness, and they devised a strategy that was self-protective, self-promoting, and self-justifying. Brothers and sisters, my brothers and sisters in Christ, I'm here this morning hoping that we will not devise strategies in order to deal with the sin within. Sometimes our quote-unquote ministry might be a strategy because the noise in my head, <laughs> and we'll talk more about that next week. Uh, next week, we'll, we'll finish this passage. We'll talk about um, the din within. Last week, last time we were together, we talked about the thirst within. Today's the sin within. Next week is the, di- the din within. And then going forward, I'll see if I can preach a sermon that doesn't have the word within in the title, okay? We have all that to look forward to. But they're, they're, um, they devise this strategy, and, and a lot of times works, quote-unquote, ministry is... Um, that, uh, part of that strategy. And again, as I mentioned already before, these things are written as examples for us. These things happen to Adam and Eve, but this is not just about Adam and Eve. This is me. This is you. This is us. This is the sin within, and so let's see what else we got here. Look at this picture. This, in conclusion, we doubt God's commands. We distrust God's concern. We dismiss God's control. We call broken cisterns to quench our thirst. We, don't, we don fig leaves to cover our shame and nakedness, and we devise strategies for self-protection, self-justification. I mean, if you've been married for 10 minutes, you know about self-protection, self-promotion, self-justification. I remember hearing a guy go, oh, are you kidding? He said, I'm a self-justifying machine. This is what we do. We don't have to hide. We're a community of people that are all broken. This is, this, this is, this is what the Word of God says. I'm, I'm not trying to browbeat anybody, but I'm really, I'm, what I want to get to is there's freedom in this. In fact, I'm going to give you some of them right now. So you should take a picture of that. <laughs> should I leave it up for another second? I've le- I'm a baby boomer, but I've learned to take pictures of slides and take them home. <laughs> I, don't, I, I still don't, I don't really take pictures of food, so... Uh. <laughs> but maybe, you know, who knows? Who knows what the day will bring forth? I may learn to do that yet. All right, come on. Four benefits, blessings of embracing our sin. As in, oh, come on, that's not supposed to happen. I was supposed, I, I worked so hard to get the transitions. Those four things are supposed to come in as transitions. All right, so you got them all right there. Take a picture of that slide if you like. Four benefits or four blessings of embracing our sin as an internal daily reality. All right, I have a secret belief. Shh, don't tell. 
I have a secret belief, and I don't share it too often, but I have the idea that most Christians focus on the sins that they commit, their behavioral sin. And we engage in behavior modification. We try to lessen the bad things that we do and try to replace them with good things. Kind of like an accountant. We got to get more in the black and less in the red. This is behavior modification. We endeavor to sin less and replace our bad behavior with good works. Now, that may sound like an extreme kind of diagnosis, but um, look at Martha. Remember Mary and Martha? <sighs> Martha, Martha, you're anxious and, and what was it? anxious and troubled. That's, that's anxious and troubled on the inside because she feels like she's got to perform. Look at Saul of Tarsus and his quote-unquote heroic works for, on behalf of the Lord God of Israel. Or one of my favorites, the older brother. In the, in the parable, we, we call it the parable of the, um, um, what do we call it? Prodigal son, thank you very much. Prodigal son, the parable of the prodigal son. Jesus said, I want to tell you a parable about a man who had two sons. Well, but no, we say, no, let's just talk about the prodigal. Because the other brother, the older brother, might look a little bit like us. He, was, he stayed at least geographically close to his father. He didn't engage in riotous living, as the King James says. Um, and, um, but the younger brother was forgiven. And we don't ever know what happened to the older brother. He was geographically close to the father. But spiritually speaking, a million miles away. He was light years away. And so um, sometimes works are a strategy, are fig leaves, are a mask that we use. If you don't like Martha, Saul of Tarsus, the older brother, why is the book of Galatians in the New Testament? The New Testament, the book of Galatians teaches we can be free of religious rigmarole if we walk in the Spirit. Basically, that's this sermon. I'm preaching, I'm preaching Galatians right now from Genesis. We can be free from all this religious baggage if we walk in the Spirit. All of these people, and then two, finally one more, is why the, um, in the Gospels, why do we have this emphasis and focus on the emotionally unhealthy spirituality of the religious conservatives of their day, the Pharisees? Uh, if we embrace the fact of our sin within, we are relieved of unnecessary, here's the freedom. If we embrace the sin, our sin within, we're relieved of the unnecessary, flesh-prompted, neurosis-inspired, Shame-motivated ministry of Mary, the Galatians, the Pharisees, etc. We're liberated from good works as a mask to cover our weakness and shame. We're liberated to show our gratitude with works that reflect our gratitude. Faith. Question. I'm going to ask a question. You can talk back to me, okay? Feel free. Everybody ready? Be like, we're going to play Family Feud. Here's the question. If the problem is doubt Doubting God's commands and doubt and distrust, distrusting God's concern, that's the problem. What's the solution? Anybody else? Faith, trust, any synonyms for faith. There you go. That's the solution. That's, write this down if you're taking notes. That's why we're saved by faith. God doesn't, did God say, 
Is God looking in heaven? Behold, I look down upon the earth, and I'm looking for circus animals to perform works of righteousness on my behalf. No, he's not looking for performance. He wants people to trust him, like that will put their faith and trust and believe in him. It's like, yeah, uh, Lord, uh, I'm going to trust you with my marriage. I don't know where it's going. Maybe he'll turn out to be a guy that I didn't imagine, but I'm going to trust you that even in those situations, I can trust God, and he'll work all things together for good. So the answer is faith. That's why we're saved by faith. That's what he wants, and nothing else is a substitute. Nothing else works. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. You can do all kinds of circus-like feats. You can do a trapeze. You can walk a tightrope. You can ride an elephant of ministry and all that. Jesus is like, like Isaiah, did I ask you to do this? Who, 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 who required this trampling of my courts? I'm not looking for circus animals. I'm not looking for majestic feats of righteousness. Just trust me. Put your faith. I, I'm good. Am I not good? For what sin did your father abandon me? What sin did they find in me? What, what ugly did they find in me? Why do we, why do we, without faith, it's impossible to please him. And then too, if that's all you're doing, it's like when we get to heaven, our works are tried and tested by a blowtorch. You have to know the original Greek to get the blowtorch part. But by fire, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. And if we're just doing works of quote unquote righteousness like Martha or the Pharisees, it's like, after the, after the dust clears, it's like, wood, hay, stubble. I'm sorry, but we have some nice parting gifts for you. You're saved, but like you're living in a bungalow in Coney Island. <laughs> That's where I'll be. I'm, gonna, I'm convinced I'm going to be in a Coney Island under the cyclone. In <laughs> Without faith, it's impossible. The works we offer to God should be from hearts of love that have been transformed by the amazing grace of God and faith in the gospel, transformed by God, by the Holy Spirit, not behavior modification. And finally, grace. If sin is behavioral, then there's something we can do about it. We can fix it, but it's not. And there's therefore nothing we can do to fix it. I'm going to be like this until I die. In fact, I've told people in my particular case, personally, I recommend you wait for about a week or 10 days after the death certificate is signed because there's no telling what I'm going to do. Anybody like Tom Waits? Can I see a hand, show of hands? Tom Waits? Tom Waits, a poet, artist. He says, I know I'm irresponsible, and I misbehave, and I ruin everything that I do, and I'll probably get arrested when I'm in my grave, but I'm saving all my loving just for you. He writes some good stuff, urban poet, but that idea that I'll probably get arrested when I'm in my grave. Me, wait a week or 10 days till after the death certificate is signed to make sure I don't have some kind of uprising. <laughs> and then two, it wor it's worship. This is God's word. God is telling us right here, this is the diagnosis of the great physician. He says, you doubt me, you distrust me, and then, and then you blow me off. But it's the doubt and distrust that I want to deal with because that's the problem, not the behavior. The behavior is just the effect of the cause. And so since it's in God's word, he knows it. He knows you. He knows you and he knows me. And he knows lukewarm is my warmest thought. He says, that's okay. That's my boy. We are fully known and fully loved. All right, we got to end. But here, I got to tell you this. 
I might go a little over, forgive me. I think it's my first time going over. I'm Irish. <laughs> but seriously, listen to this. So um, knowing all this, I used to comfort my soul by going to Revelation 4 and 5. Revelation 4 and 5, for those that may not recall it off the top of your head, is the four and 20 elders, the angels, seraphim, cherubim, praising God 24-7, round the clock, every day, Saturdays, Sundays, and holidays, no weekends off, nonstop throughout eternity. Holy, holy, holy is the Lamb. Worthy is He. It's beautiful. I used to go there all the time uh, just to comfort my soul, to lift my chin, you know, because, I, you know, I live here. Um, and, and, and I realized this is reality. This is what life, quote-unquote, is really like. And this, this, uh, this matrix that we, um, you know, traveling on a daily basis, this is, this is dissipating. This is gone. When he comes back, this, Revelation 4 and 5 and is, is, is reality, and, 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 and it's beautiful. It's comforting. It's appropriate. And so I would go back there, and the more I would go back there, after a while, I'm like, the hammers are ringing. Like, I'm listening to the worship of the angels. When I was in seminary, they talked about the attributes of God. There's his goodness, and there's his greatness. And I'm listening to the angels again as I would go back, and I'm like, this, this, this is like, it's losing some of its luster. It's not having the same effect. So I told myself, well, yeah, it's the law of diminishing returns. If you're looking for pleasure, if you're looking for comfort, you know, roller coaster, it's fun, you know, whatever. After a while, it doesn't, you, it's a law of diminishing returns because you keep going back to the well too often. And I'm like, no, that's not what I'm thinking. And I'm, looking, I'm listening to the angels, and they're, they're emphasizing God's greatness. He's holy. He's majestic. He's glorious. He's awesome. He's transcendent, which is cool. God is great. But if I'm going to praise God, I praise him for his goodness, his mercy, his grace, his forgiveness. And I'm listening to the angels, and I'm like, they ain't cutting it. Their hammers are ringing, but the nails ain't going down. And I'm like, what's up with that? And I'm realizing they don't know. They don't know his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness. They don't know the pain of growing up in a dysfunctional family where there's abandonment. And, and, and hostility. They don't know the pain of a loved one with cancer, of, a, of, of a, an abused child. And I'm like, I told it to a friend, and he said, oh, I know what you're talking about. There's a hymn. I'm like, what? Listen to this, and we'll close. There is singing up in heaven, such as we have never known, where the angels sing the praises of the Lamb on the throne. The sweet harps, their sweet harps are always tuneful and their voices always clear. Oh, that we might be more like them while we serve the master here. Holy, holy, holy is what the angels sing, and I expect to help them make the courts of heaven ring. But when I sing Redemption's story, they will fold their wings, for angels never felt the joy that our salvation brings. So although I'm not an angel, Yet I know that over there, I will join a blessed chorus that the angels cannot share. I will sing about my Savior who upon 
dark Calvary really pardoned my transgressions, died to set me free. If you embrace your inner, the inner sin nature, the whole, and walk by faith, the Holy Spirit will transform you, and you will not gratify the desires of, the, of your flesh, but behavior modification is not how to live like we ought to. Our gracious God and Father, we praise you and thank you. We are fully known and fully loved. You know all the things about us, tepid, our warmest thoughts. And so I praise you, Lord, that you have loved us and saved us. And I pray that there, if there are any here today who don't know this gospel, don't know the love and the forgiveness of the Savior, that they would respond this morning. Or even if you want to embrace your inner sin, the sin within, this invitation is for you as well. We praise you and thank you, Lord God, for your grace, for your love, for your mercy. And all these things we pray in Jesus' name.